in, and today I've got a pretty unique task ahead of me. If you don't know, we've been in this sermon series in the book of Malachi, and uh, the challenge of preaching out of the book of Malachi is probably pretty obvious to you already. They're not exactly easy words, and that's going to be especially challenging today because God's actually going to deliver some really harsh words of judgment specifically towards the leaders of his church. If I could be completely honest with you, just the the focus of this, this passage we're reading today, it actually just forced me this week just to really shift how I even do my sermon prep. Because I knew that if I wanted to be, be authentic to the text that I needed to first, before I deliver the, the words of judgment from God to the priest, I needed to allow the Lord to examine my heart as a pastor. And as uncomfortable as that process was, to be honest, it really brought me to this place of great hope and great joy. And it might be weird to you, especially once you hear this passage we're about to read, but what I realized, even in the midst of these harsh words, is what God has been doing, not just in me personally, but more importantly, in the life of our church, in each of your lives, as I see people being raised up, people being discipled, people stepping in to roles of leadership. So I just want to encourage you as we prepare our hearts this morning to receive what may sound like a hard word. I want to encourage you to know that, that the Lord is at work. He is building his church. Amen? Amen. We may be far, far from perfect, but I truly believe we are headed in the right direction because we are pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly. So I just want you to keep that in mind as we look to God's word and as we hear the fate of the leaders actually who were leading their people astray. Our passage this morning comes out of the book of Malachi chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, you can get those out even right now. We're going to dive in pretty quickly this morning. And we're going to dive into what I consider really to be the central part of this book. Malachi 2 verses 1 through 9. I really see them as the central part of this book, and here's why. Because these nine verses, they're actually going to get to the, the root of the problem that is facing God's people. Right, we've talked about in the last couple of weeks the problem of the fact that the people no longer desire the Lord. They no longer delight in Him. Right, there's a lack of desire and a lack of delight. And ultimately, that lack, it starts at the top. It's part of the reason why I've titled today's message, Lacking Leaders. Lacking Leaders. If you're a note-taker, you can jot that down at the top. But I want you to know there's actually more than one meaning to that title. You'll come to see that this isn't just about a past reality about God's people then, that they were lacking leaders, but it's also speaking to a present opportunity that we have here today as God's people here and now. So we're going to cover both past and present this morning. We're going to look to God's word, but before we do that, would you just join me in a quick word of prayer? Father God, it is such a joy to worship you. Lord, I love just looking around at the faces of my brothers and sisters as we are singing your praises, just seeing their devotion, their delight in you. Lord, I thank you that even in what I know are hard and trying circumstances that your people, that our family is going through, that we can always find hope. We can always find joy in you. So would you use this time now, Lord? Would you encourage us through your word? Would you draw us closer to you and to your heart? Pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, Malachi chapter two, we're going to look at verses one through nine this morning, if you would join me. It says this, and now, O priests, 
This command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Well, if you remember back to week one of this series, I talked about Malachi being something of a dialogue between God and his people. And we talked about the seven questions that are asked throughout this book and how they're really meant to draw out for us the heart of God. Well, you may have noticed that in these nine verses we're looking at here, nine of what's really only, I think, 55 in the book, we see zero questions asked, right? And what was sort of a dialogue has become much more of a monologue. And so when you see patterns like this that are broken in Scripture, you have to stop and ask yourself, why? And so what you'll see if you look past the, the strong verbiage and the graphic details is that there is a, a gravity to what God is communicating here. Right? This is kind of like when you were a kid, right, and your parents would get upset with you. I don't know about you guys, but my parents, their voice would lower an octave, and they would use their, your full name, right? Beginning, middle, and last name. I have two middle names, so this was like very serious, very formal. <laughs> Lots of syllables in there, so I knew they were upset. And this is much more serious than that, obviously, but you get the point, right? The tone has changed. God is about to hand out some very serious discipline, right? So that's the tone that's being set here. But the fact of the matter is we're sitting here some 2,500 years later, and really we tend to see stuff like this as like, oh, it's just ancient history, right? It's Old Testament stuff that no longer applies to us. We, we give all those excuses so that it doesn't hit us where it's supposed to hit us. But the reality is this is much more than just ancient history, much more than just ancient history. So we don't want to ignore the historical context. We're going to speak to that. But we also can't ignore the modern-day relevancy this has for us. I believe there's actually a couple different reasons why this text is so relevant to each of us here today, regardless of whether or not you are a leader in ministry. See, the first reason it's so relevant is because we, as Christians, we are all called priests. Whether you have a, a position or a pulpit or a platform, it doesn't matter. First Peter chapter 2 tells us, that because of Christ's finished work on the cross, that we all are now members of the royal priesthood. We are part of God's chosen body. He has given us influence. He has given us a responsibility. So in that sense, these words apply to every single one of us. Nevertheless, they are aimed directly at the leaders in God's church, right? those he has appointed, those he has given the positions and the platforms and the pulpits to. So this is a both-and scenario. Are you guys following with me on this? 
God called us all to be priests, but he still appoints some to be shepherds, to shepherd his flock, to teach his word. So we have not just one, but two reasons to lean in this morning. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to actually break down this text by using the same question that we asked of it last week. If you guys remember, we just asked of the Lord, what do you want to reveal to us through this passage? It's such a great, such a simple question you can ask when you open up God's word. Lord, what do you want to reveal to me? And typically, what you'll see is it'll answer at least three questions. It'll reveal to you something that's true about people, either then or, or just in general. It'll reveal to you something about God. And then it'll reveal to you something about yourself, something you need to do in light of this. So let's start with what's true about people. It's my first point this morning. If you are taking notes, it is simply this, that leaders lead and people follow. Leaders lead and people follow. I know groundbreaking truths here at Awakened Church this morning. Even though that may not be groundbreaking truth, it still communicates a very simple truth that leaders need to lead because people naturally need somebody to follow. This is just a fact of life, right? We mimic the people that we sit under. This is why, whether we like it or not, a lot of us grow up to be very much like our parents. Most of us probably don't want to admit that, right? But that's who we spend the majority of our formative years around, right? We spend our time watching them, listening to them, learning from them. Whether it be good or bad, the fact of the matter is the apple does not fall far from the tree. I got a picture of this last week when, when Don and Will Bentley walked in here wearing the same exact outfit. It was crazy. But you see it even in their lives, right? Will just graduated from officer candidate school, was going to the Marine Corps, following in the footsteps of his dad. Different branch, same responsibility. Right? The apple does not fall far from the tree, and that certainly is true when it comes to spiritual leadership. That's why there's a saying out there that says, as the pastor goes, so goes the church. That was certainly the case even here all the way back in 430 B.C. See, the priest had stopped listening to God. They had gotten lazy and chosen laziness over leadership, and so the people naturally just followed them down that path. There's actually a picture I came across this week that, that really helped visualize this for me, what was going on with the priests. It's an image most of us are familiar with. It's a picture of the three wise monkeys. You may not have known it as that title, but that's what they're called. They're called the three wise monkeys. And the reason why I think this is so fitting is because it shows that the priests had neglected their responsibility. First, they had stopped listening. Right, that's the, the monkey with the ears covered. They had stopped receiving God's instruction. Right? He says he'd stopped taking it to heart. And so obviously then they couldn't represent God in their own teachings in the ways that they were carrying out his commandments. Second, they stopped looking to God. They got complacent. They got comfortable. They stopped looking to God's word and applying it to their own lives. And so naturally, they didn't expect others to as well. And I think this actually points us to an important truth about leadership. That it's not just about what you teach, it's also about what you tolerate. Leadership isn't about what you just teach, it's also about what you tolerate. Because what you tolerate, family, is what you'll eventually become. This is why we feel so strongly about our core values here at Awaken. And why we as your pastors, we're actually going to hold you accountable to them. It's one thing to put them on there as an aspirational quote. It's another thing if your pastor's are willing to call you to the carpet on it. If you've been a part of our fully engaged partnership process, you know we sort of lead with that. Hey, these are the commitments we're calling you to, and we will actually call you as your pastors, as your shepherd, to live according to these. I know it may be countercultural in today's environment, right? But that's the responsibility we have been given. So 
if we see something, you better believe that with grace, of course, we are going to say something. Which leads to the third thing that the priests did, or I guess in this case didn't do. They didn't speak up on behalf of God. That's the monkey that's, you know, like this. In verse 9, God accuses the priests of showing partiality in their instructions. What this means is that they were basically kind of willy-nilly choosing if and how and, and when they would actually hold the people accountable to God's word. So they would choose, hey, if this isn't going to cost me very much, well then, yeah, I'm going I'm to stick to God's word. But if it came at the cost of confrontation, if it came at the cost of somebody's tithe, well, I don't know, maybe I don't need to say anything. They settled for passivity. What they failed to see, though, family, is that no matter what they chose, something was going to be placed on that altar. Whether they chose to hold people accountable, whether they chose passivity, something was going to be placed on that altar. The only question is what? I brought to mind this week a great quote I heard from the, the author and motivational speaker, Simon Sinek. He said this, Great leaders are willing to sacrifice the numbers to save the people. Poor leaders sacrifice the people to save the numbers. So by not listening to God, by not looking to him, by not speaking up on his behalf, the, the priests were sacrificing the people to save the numbers. Right? They were more concerned with the people liking them than they were with the people loving God. And as a result, the people followed them down that path towards destruction. Fortunately, there's good news. Fortunately, God does not stand idly by, not then and not now. Which leads us to what this passage reveals to us about God. And that's this, that God is not afraid of confrontation. That's point number two. God is not afraid of confrontation. Look back with me, Malachi 2, verses 2 and 3. The Lord says this, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So the leaders may have been scared to confront the people, but clearly God was not afraid of confronting the priests. And so what we see is actually four very detailed consequences that the Lord is going to deal out to his priests. The first is a curse over the priests and their blessings. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed this when we read through it the first time, but there's actually a, a, an interesting nuance to what God is saying here. This is why it's important to read Scripture slowly, because what you'll see is that God doesn't say, I will send you curse instead of blessings. He says, I will curse your blessings. Right? The blessings themselves will become a curse. There's a couple of different ways you can look at this. Like the first way is spiritually, with basically God saying, hey, those, those, praise, those, those prayers, those blessings you pray over the people, those will no longer be effective. Or you can look at it physically, right? The, the things that God has, has blessed them with, their, their livestock, their fields, whatever it is that they, that they have, those things will now be cursed. Regardless of where this curse was being directed, though, the, the point is that life was going to get a lot harder. It's going to be a lot less fruitful for those priests as a result of God's judgment. Next, he, he speaks a, a curse over their offspring. Now, there's a couple of different ways you can look at this, too, because the, the word offspring leads us to believe that this is maybe about their children. But if you look actually at the Hebrew word, which is Zerah, it actually is the word seed. 
So there could be a metaphorical picture being painted of the priest's legacy, basically saying, hey, those seeds that you plant, those seeds will not bear fruit because I don't want to, to further the, 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 the negativity, the destruction that you're causing through your legacy. Are you all following me on this? It's good because the judgment God is casting down now, it's not just going to impact their future. It's going to bring immediate and obvious disgrace. That's where we get to the line that probably had all of your ears perk up when he promised to spread dung on the faces of the priests. And yes, that means exactly what you think it means. As I was reading through different translations, I just really love the New, the New Living Translation, so I wanted to read it to you. In it, God promises to splatter the faces of the priests with the manure from their festival sacrifices. Brings a little more detail to it. Brings some reality to it. No matter which way you slice it, though, it's pretty gross stuff. And I don't want you to think that God's just being petty here. Because in our day and age, it might seem a bit unreasonable for him to do this. But I want to point out to you instead that what God is simply doing here is he is making the invisible visible. Let me explain what I mean. In those days, the priests, they were required to uh, wash themselves before they administered over these sacrifices. And so there was even a, a, a bronze basin that was between the temple and the altar where they would go and they would make these sacrifices and they would wash their hands and their feet beforehand as a symbol of their purity, right? So every time they went to make this sacrifice, they would do this, but they would be portraying a holy, spotless, pure image when on the inside, they were filthy. So God is simply saying, hey, it's time for the outside to match the inside, by bringing down this curse over them, he's basically saying, I am taking the most disgusting part of your dishonoring sacrifice, right? the fecal matter of these sacrificial but blemished animals, and I'm going to smear it on the most visible part of your body. This way, all those who follow you, they will catch a glimpse of what's truly in your heart. It's powerful. It's disgusting. But don't let the shock factor of it overshadow the final curse. I actually think the final curse is far worse. God promises that the priests, they won't just be disgraced, but that like the unclean parts of the sacrificial animals, they will also be discarded. They will be removed, humiliated. And unfortunately, we've seen a whole lot of this in our day, haven't we? I mean, it seems like every month there is a new documentary, a new podcast, talking about the latest celebrity pastor that's had their fall from grace. And those are just the ones that bring media attention. The truth is, this has become a prevalent problem around the country in churches of all sizes. But family, as painful and as infuriating as that may be to see, we can find comfort in knowing that God is not afraid of confrontation, that God will defend his church. God will defend his people. We can find comfort. We can find peace in that. And listen, I know that in a room this size, there is a very good chance that several of you have been on the hurtful end of some sort of pastoral failure. I don't want to just gloss over that this morning. I want you to know that God is with you. He is for you and that God hates this sin even more than you do, if you can believe that. So even though you may be tempted to respond to that hurt with harmful words or even just by sort of disengaging from the church altogether, my encouragement to you is actually to do the opposite, but to actually press in even more, to put your trust in God. 
trust that he will be the one to confront that sin, that he will be the one to defend his church. So yes, speak truth in the face of these things. Stand up for yourself, absolutely. But don't follow leaders down their own path of destruction. Are you with me this morning? Instead, and find leaders who are walking with God. That leads to our third point about what this passage should reveal to us, that we are to walk with those who walk with God. Look back with me at verses 5 through 7. Right in the middle of these curses, like sandwiched there in between, God communicates what should be true of those that he has anointed. He paints this picture of the perfect priest. Hear these words, verses 5 through 7. He says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is the standard that God expects from those he has anointed. That out of the overflow of an intimate relationship with him, and a deep desire and knowledge of his word that they would lead by their own example in three ways, with their words, with their walk, and with their work, right? And what God does by, by painting this picture for us is he holds this up. He says, hey, your leader should resemble this, right? Your, your pastors, your life group leaders, those who are mentoring you, they should resemble what's right here. They should resemble this. They should be pursuing me by serving me, honoring me, beginning with their words, right? He says true instruction should come from their lips, meaning that their words are not just to be based on their own opinions, but they are to be based on the truth that's in the word of God. This is why one of our our core values here at Awaken, one of our non-negotiables is that we keep the gospel centered because we want to deliver God's message and not our own. We want to speak what God says, not just the things that you want to hear. See, because the fact is, as your pastors, we're called to be messengers. And in Malachi's time, what a messenger would do is relay the exact message of the one who sent him. So if a king had a messenger, he would send the messenger, and that messenger was not free to improvise the words of the one who sent him. He couldn't dull down a a hard word. He couldn't jazz up a, a dull one. He was supposed to give exactly what the king wanted to be said. And so the role of the priest then or the role of the pastor now is to faithfully and accurately explain and apply God's word. Not to gloss over the parts that are are difficult or hard to understand and not to use the ones that we want to, to, you know, further our own agenda. Just to preach it as faithfully as humanly possible. So here's what that means for you then. It means that our messages may not always make you feel good. It means that they may make you a little bit uncomfortable. They might even lead you to do something you otherwise wouldn't do. But if that's the case, man, then we can count our job well done, right? Because the word of God isn't supposed to just tickle your ears or make you feel better about yourself. Yes, there is hope there. Yes, there is joy there. Yes, there are are, are great things we can hear from it, but it should stir us to greater faith. It should push us to do the things that God has called us to do. This message is not one that's meant to be simply received and then shelved between Sundays. I came across a great quote this week. It's from an author named Louisa May Alcott. Some of you may know who this is. She was the the gal who wrote uh, the novel Little Woman. 
And I'm pretty sure Louisa May would have loved to be a part of Awakened Church because here's what she said. She said, I don't want a religion that I put away with my Sunday clothes and don't take out till the day comes around again. I want something to see and feel and live day by day. In other words, not just between Sundays, not just on Sundays, but between Sundays, excuse me. The word of God must be our foundation, which leads to the next thing God highlights, which is our walk. Now, this might come as a surprise to you, but there are a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders out there who can deliver a really good word, but who also have trouble listening to God, receiving that word for themselves. In fact, this has been proven to be the number one factor in all pastoral moral failures in our day. It's the number one consistent baseline thing that's going on. It's a lack of a devotional life. Right, where they're not spending time in prayer or in scripture or in expressions of worship outside of what they do on Sunday mornings. In other words, family, they talk the talk, but they do not walk the walk. And it's not because they don't know how important it is, right? As pastors, that's probably drilled into all of our heads how important it is for us to have our own devotional time. The challenge is pastors, ministry leaders tend to put the work before the walk. Tend to put the work of ministry before our walk with God. We start to see the, the primary focus of what is what we've been called to, to do, and we forget that the call of God isn't a call to do at all. It's a call to be. There's a huge difference there. Yet, as a pastor, as a, as a ministry leader, it can be so tempting to believe that my purpose is in doing things for God. When Scripture makes it clear right here that my purpose is to be with God, and that out of this place, Right? Being rooted in God's word, walking in intimate relationship with him, well, then my work just naturally flows. I can tell y'all, when I do sermon prep, if I haven't prayed, man, it is a wrestling match. But the more I pray, the easier that message just comes out. It naturally flows out. The same is true for you in your area of ministry. And as I was thinking about that this week, I thought about something. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. If you look to the Gospels, Jesus never teaches his disciples how to preach. All he does is teaches them how to pray. Never teaches his disciples how to preach. He just teaches them to pray because he knows that it's only out of this intimate relationship with him that we can ever be effective in our ministry for him. I don't know if that hit you the same way it hit me, but I needed to hear that. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are with. It's not about preaching. It's about praying. This is why our work must come last, right? Because all of us, no matter if we have a, a pulpit, a position, doesn't matter. We are all hardwired to find our identity in the things that we do. It's all about what we can, what we have, what we will produce, isn't it? But family, you are more than just a tool in the hands of your creator, Pastor Josiah has been speaking that line a lot lately. I have no idea where he got it from. But every time he says it, the words just sort of chisel away at my heart a little bit more. Because I need to be reminded that you know, God's given me incredible opportunities, incredible responsibility. But he also wants to just remind me that I'm his son. Family, let me tell you, the work of ministry is hard. It doesn't matter if you have a microphone in your hands, if you're watching kids in the back or doing set up and tear down. The work of ministry is always hard. Following the commands of Jesus, taking up your cross and following him daily is not an easy thing to do, platform or not. But the reality is that we cannot 
and we will not find the strength we need to follow his commands by looking to the work ahead of us. We can only find the strength we need by looking to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. This is who Malachi is pointing us to over and over again. This is the picture that is drawn for us of the ideal priest. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who's our great ideal high priest. See, in the time of Malachi, these priests would come to the temple day after day, giving these offerings, giving these sacrifices. And then they would come back the next day and they'd do it over and over again. That is until Jesus came as our once and for all sacrifice and laid down his life as both our great high priest and our sacrificial lamb. And then when his work was finished, Mark 16, 19 tells us, he sat down at the right hand of God. No more sacrifices were needed. No more substitutes to take our place. The work of Christ had been finished. Giving all who call on his name unhindered access to God. And so family, because of this, we can now shift our focus forward. See the incredible opportunity that's ahead of us. Remember, I talked about a past and a present reality. And the reality is we have an opportunity to take advantage of. As I invite the band back up, let me show it to you. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What this means, family, is that because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, each of you has been equipped and empowered to do his work. This is the opportunity that's available to each of you today. It doesn't matter if you carry a title or if you preach from a pulpit. Because if you've been saved, you've been called. You've been given influence. You've been given a responsibility. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you guys know this verse, Paul talks about us being a new creation, right? Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. The very next thing that he says is that we are to take that message to others, to be ambassadors for Christ. Family, you are the royal priesthood. We together are the church. So the only question that remains is how will you respond to the call that God has put on your life? Will your life be one that is marked with peace? Will people say of you that you walk with the Lord? Right? That your words and your walk and your work, that they will lead others to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. You don't need a microphone to be able to do that. How will you respond this morning? I think for some of you, that response is simply to step forward. To step forward, to actually lead by serving. That's the model Jesus gave us, right? So that's the model we encourage people towards. Some of you have yet to do that. It doesn't need to be here. We want it to be here. We have great opportunities for you here. But you're not called just to be a priest here on Sundays, but between Sundays. Some of you need to take that step forward to answer God's call to be a leader in your community, a leader in your home, a leader in your church, a leader in your school. 
how will you respond? If that place is here, man, we would love to talk to you. Come find me. Come find one of your pastors. Fill out that connect card. Check that serving box. Don't leave today ignoring that call. But I do believe there might be somebody here, maybe more than one of you, who God's calling even deeper. Maybe you're already serving and God's calling you to lead. Maybe you're already leading, but God says, hey, I want even more for you. Family, I can tell you from personal experience, that's a hard call to answer. It's even harder to live out. I spent 10 years myself giving God the, the stiff arm. And as good as his grace is, as much as he has used every moment of those 10 years, there's nothing I would like more than to go back. And to say yes when he first put that call in my life. Don't ignore that call. I can promise you it's not going to be easy, but I can also promise you that you have a church family who will walk with you every step of the way. I don't know how to end this. <laughs> I wasn't planning on going there. But what I do know, family, is that God has called this church to be a light in this community, to be a light beyond this community. We want to plant more healthy, reproducing churches. You want to raise up even more leaders. So there is an opportunity for each and every one of you today. Do not ignore that call. Do not neglect that opportunity. No matter how the Lord might be stirring you today, the fact remains that each of us who have been saved have been called. So how will you respond? Let us all, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace to receive God's mercy and to receive everything we need to do the things he has called us to do. Would you stand with us now as we enter back into a time as we worship King Jesus.